Well, hello, buddy. Good to see you. You guys look really well rested. Yeah, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. Um, I just love Montana. I hadn't looked at the weather at all. Last night after services, my wife and I were sitting on our porch enjoying the warmth. And I woke up this morning, I looked outside. I, just, I didn't know it was going to snow. I'm like, what is going on? Jenny said, what are you looking at? I'm like, it's snow everywhere. <laughs> Welcome to Montana. Hey, we um, have been in this series, uh, A New Way to Be Human. And here's kind of the gist of it. It's one book, the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's 50 AD. Paul had been with them in the city of Thessalonica for just about a month. And then because of a riot, he has to escape town. They want, they want to find him and arrest him. Um, and in that month, though, we're told that a few Jewish people in the city had become believers but that a great number of Greeks, so from the Greco-Roman world, Thessalonica was an ancient Greek city, now under Roman influence, a great number of Greeks had become believers. So now some months later, Paul has traveled all the way south into Athens and Corinth, and he is writing a letter back to his friends in Thessalonica, and he's addressing certain things. And the big idea is this, hey, in one month, of hearing the message of Jesus and they don't have a New Testament at this point. He said, you've decided to follow Jesus, but I want to continue to teach you that there's a new way to be human. There's a new way to live your life. So in the first three chapters, Paul's talked about who they are, their identity and how great God's love for them is. Now in chapter four though, he's going to get into the nitty gritty about a new way to be human. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on your belt buckle. Okay. Because Paul is going to address sexuality. Now, if you're a parent, you've got a small child in the room, I just want to warn you, we're going to get PG, maybe a little PG-13, but you can't get mad at me. It's Paul, okay? So you're going to get mad at anybody. Address your emails to the Apostle Paul, faithchapel.cc. We'll forward it on to him. So I do want to warn you that. I also uh, want to make sure that you know something. If you are what we call spiritually unresolved, okay, you have not, at this point in your life, made a commitment to follow Jesus. Um, I want you to know, you get to listen and you get to think through this. And I hope it challenges your way of thinking. It is going to be absolutely countercultural. It is going to be subversive. It's going to be radical. You're going to go like, what in the world? Okay. But this does not apply to you. It doesn't. But it's something you're going to have to think about in your own decision on whether or not you're going to give your life to Jesus. Now, for the believers in the room, I, I want to tell you this. Um, sometimes we have adopted certain concepts around the world of sexuality that aren't biblical whatsoever. So you might feel a little bit shocked at times. And, and no way am I here to make people feel condemned to make people feel oh, beat up. We always try to balance grace and truth, but we don't want to be short on the truth either. That's unloving. So, so hopefully this is filled with grace and truth. And we're facing some of the same issues that they faced in Thessalonica, right? Just some confusion and some cultural norms, some cultural baggage. Paul says, let me help you understand the realm of sexuality and let me un help you understand God's design for it all, Okay. All right, here we go. We're going to start chapter 4, verse 1. We'll read through verse 8. Here we go. As for other matters, 
you got to love Paul as he switches to speaking about sex, other matters, okay? Other matters, brothers and sisters, to the people in the church, okay? The Philadelphia, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. This is an important phrase. We're going to talk about it. Here's what we were teaching you those three, month, three weeks we were with you. We want to teach you how to live your life in a brand new way, how to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, to continue in this new life of saying, I want to please God above everything else. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. We'll describe that. We'll define it. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I absolutely love that Paul puts these last two words in this Uh, dialogue. He says, by the way, I want you to remember you're not alone in this. Okay. I want you to remember that the same power that brought Christ up from the grave, resurrected Jesus is alive and at work in you. The Holy Spirit is in your midst. He's going to help you work this out. Okay, here we go. Let's talk a little bit about this. We're just going to revisit Paul's words and see how they apply to our lives. First of all, when Paul says, as I introduce this whole idea of culture and of sex and human sexuality, I want you to remember this one big thing that overarches all of it, living to please God, living to please God. He says, before anything else, I want you to live a life that is pleasing to God. So this live a life, that phrase, is translated multiple ways in the New Testament. Um, Oftentimes it's to pick a path or to walk a path. So here's what every human being I know of. We all share this. We share that we have instincts, okay? Um, Bible calls it, it's your flesh or your old nature. And it's about self-preservation. It's about self-gratification. It's about what's easiest for me. So Paul presents this. He says, here's a new way to be human. Now, as followers of Jesus, when you come to junctures in your life, ethical moments where you're going to need to make a choice, he said, here's what I want you to think about. Don't ask these questions. These are the natural questions. What's best for me? Will I get caught? What might the consequences be? What's the path of least resistance? He says, no, no, no. Those aren't the questions we're going to ask. When you come to junctures of ethics in your life, ask this question. This is the question disciples of Jesus ask. How can I best please God making this choice? 
What would put a smile on my heavenly father's face? What would cause God to say, that's my girl, that's my boy. So I get to get rid of the old questions. What do I want? What would be best for me? What would I enjoy most? Uh-uh. I don't ask that question anymore. My life is now submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I ask, how can I best please the Lord? Imagine how that would change our lives. Whatever the ethical situations that you're going to face this week, what if we learn to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to ask what would make me feel best right now or what would make me feel most secure. I'm going to ask, how can I please the Lord in the way I respond to this conversation, in the way that I interact with this other human being? And Paul says it's a pathway. So you got to pick your path. He says, that's the new pathway I want you to walk. So we're, for anybody watching online, we're in Billings, Montana. Okay, so in Billings, Montana, if you picked a pathway that headed north, you'd go through Roundup and then kind of have a big empty part of the state and then you run into somebody that says A, right? You, you hit Canada, okay? If you headed south, you'd um, go through a couple of cities and then this massive vacuum known as Wyoming, right? A couple of little cities, you could get some gas, but eventually you'd end up like in, in Denver, something like that. Um, if you're going to head east, right, it gets more and more well-ventilated the farther east you get. Fresh air all the time. We don't call it windy. We just call it well-ventilated. And, and then eventually what, you're going to end up in Bismarck or Fargo or Minneapolis. If you chose your path on going west, you're going to go through, you know, the Bozemans and the Missoulas and the Coeur d'Alene's and the Spokane's and eventually you're going to end up in Seattle. That's the path. So the path you determine to take, right, that's where your destination is going to be. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, okay, now as followers of Jesus, okay, you're going to live in this really wild world that won't understand you. You're going to have to make other choices. I want you to choose this path. The path that you get on every day is you say this, how can I please God? Nobody else is going to ask that. I get it. So you're going to make decisions that are radically different. How can I please God? And he says, and, and I want you to do this more and more progressively. As your life goes on, ask that question constantly. So here's the overarching theme. He says, how can you live a life that pleases God? Secondly, Paul says this. I want to tell you something about God's will for your life. Anybody ever want to know what God's will for your life was? We all do, right? Paul says, okay, I know something about God's will for your life. And his will for your life is that we are sanctified. God's will for our lives is that we are sanctified. Now, this word, I bet none of us have used this in a conversation this past week. Just don't. It's not a word we use very often. So what in the world does sanctified actually mean? What does that mean? Okay, I'm going to show you a picture. This is going to illustrate what it means to be sanctified. Okay? It's kind of a complicated Hebrew term that now Paul's using in the Greek world. Here's this picture. It says septic tanks pumped, swimming pools filled, not same truck. <laughs> a literal advertisement. Okay? This is the idea of sanctification, is that you don't want your swimming pool filled with the same truck that 
pumped the septic tank, right? The, the two things are separate. They have unique purposes. So sanctified literally means to be set aside for noble purposes, distinct noble purposes. This is how the word was used like in a daily use in first century Thessalonica. Um, imagine this is a world before indoor plumbing, before bathrooms, all of that. So you'd have multiple pots that looked identical, okay? Because they're, they're, they're industrial. You use them every day. One pot would be your chamber pot. Okay, this is the pot that you use to relieve yourself, right? In the middle of the night, there's no bathroom, okay? That, but the other pot looked the same, but that's what you use for your fresh drinking water. So here's how they use the word sanctified. This pot that we use for drinking water is sanctified. It's set apart. We don't use it for those purposes. It is unique. It is dignified. This is the one that has special and unique purposes. That's the idea of sanctified. Paul says this, here's God's will for your life. That you would be dignified. That you would be set apart, not for base activities, but you would say, no, no, no. I've got a purpose in this life that is unique. I want to be dignified. I want to live my life on purpose for God to be used by him so that he can work through me. And I want to separate, right, the, the, the baser purposes from the noble purposes. So Paul says this. You, you, God's will for you, for me, for us, is that we are set apart for unique purposes, that we avoid those things that can contaminate or pollute. So he says, that's God's heart for you. That's his will for you. So his big two thoughts before he introduces even the idea of sex is, one, ask this new question. How can I best please God? It's not about pleasing me anymore. Two, I know this about God. He wants me to be set apart, to be a dignified person. So this brings us to point number three. This is where, like, this is where you're going to need your seatbelt. Paul says, I want you to avoid sexual immorality. The definition of sexual immorality kind of means everything right here. Right? What does it mean? There are, you can jump on the internet, you can read books. There are so many people trying to define this, trying to find some obscure resource from um, Greek culture to, you know, me, like, let's, let's let this mean something else. I can tell you, this has been huge for me for, I don't know, I guess the better part of 20 some years, I have been searching because everything hangs on this. And I can look at you unequivocally, I can look at you with confidence, and I can tell you what the biblical authors mean when they use this phrase, sexual immorality. You ready for it? This is where it gets a little challenging. Sexuality, very clearly, New Testament writers, is sexual immorality is anything, any form of sex, any type of sex outside of the covenant relationship of marriage between a husband and a wife, All right? So sexual immorality is anything outside of a covenant relationship, marriage between a husband and a wife. 
Paul's doing a couple of just like jaw-dropping things when he says this. Here were a couple of challenges <clears throat> that they had in Corinth. In first century Greek culture, um, there was gender inequality when it came to sexuality. Okay, so for first century Greeks, they had this very, very lofty expectation for women. Women had to be chaste, women had to be pure, and men, there were no cultural expectations for you to be faithful to your wife, none whatsoever. A woman was culturally punished if she wasn't. Men, it was like kind of anything goes. And nobody frowned on that. So one of the things that Paul is doing is this, we call it being egalitarian. He says, okay, if these are your expectations for women, God has the same expectations for men and for women. Now, the first time they read this book, right? This is from Paul. They would have gathered as a church. I am telling you that if you were a Greek man, this had never been a part of your upbringing. This has never been a part of the way you thought. You thought, oh, yeah, yeah, women have this one standard, but we don't. Guys in the room would have been like, oh, really? Man, Paul, you should have told us that before we became believers. Like, seriously. So Paul's leveling it out. It's egalitarian. Here's the other thing he's doing. Greek culture in the first century. For hundreds of years, because of Aristotelian, Aristotle's teaching, because of Platonic teaching, uh, Plato's teaching, they had divided. This is just the, the way the Greek mindset was. The world of the mind and of the body, or of the natural and the spiritual, okay? The, the, sorry, the natural and the spiritual, okay? These two were completely separate. So they literally, in their way of thinking, had this very clear line of demarcation between the two. These were just separate. So this whole idea that this is the true world and these things are just a shadow. So a Greek thought this. It does not matter what happens with my physical body because the physical body is temporary, it's polluted, and it's not redeemable. Okay, so what I do, if I, if I overeat, if I overindulge, whatever I do physically, sexually out there, it makes no ramifications because this thing is temporary, it's broken, it can't be fixed. What really matters is the world of the mind, the spiritual realm, philosophy and thinking. And they just did not believe that these two things interacted whatsoever, right? Paul is saying this saying, now that you're followers of Jesus, I'm going to need you to begin to integrate these two things. I need you to know that your body actually matters. In fact, next week, we're going to look at Paul's teaching on the return of Jesus and the resurrection of people. Okay. It is peculiar. There is no other religion in the world that teaches that the human body is literally going to be resurrected. Paul is going to say, in fact, this body matters so much to God that one day when he comes back, your body is going to come back together whole. No matter how long you've been dead, your body matters a great deal. This is the realm of the spiritual, both of them. So he's calling them to bring the two together. 
Get rid of what we call dualism. Now, so here's what Paul's going to do. When he uses this term, sexual immorality, he's going to say this. This would have just been unthinkable to the people who were raised in the Greek city of Thessalonica. He's going to say, this is where your creator, the one who made your body, your biology, all your urges, all your hormones, he says, this is the proper place for sex. In a covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. Because this is it. This is it. Well, in first century uh, Thessalonica, well, there were like forms of sexuality here and here and what about this and what about that? Kind of like our world, isn't it? So what do we do? Here's what we do. Oh, let's uh, just make a bigger box, right? Perfect. But everybody who has that box says, oh, but there are some things that are really naughty. That's even outside of my box, right? So the problem with this is this is relative, right? It's like what I want the box to be, what I'm comfortable with and what I'm uncomfortable with. Paul just radically says, now there's a new way to be human. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. And once you've done that, You've got to decide whether or not you're going to submit to your creator's definition of sexuality. He's not embarrassed of it. He's the creator of it. But he says, this is the world where our sexuality should live. And I get it. I talk about this. There are probably half of us in the room are single. Um, you're looking at me. You're like, yeah, Nate. Well, you're married. It's easy for you to say. I get it. I get it. I get it. There's a million questions we have. We'll come back to this, but this is what Paul's pointing at. He's saying, first of all, you've got to bring these two worlds together. What happens with your body actually matters to God. That pleasing God doesn't just have to do with the mind. It has to do with the mind and the body. Okay? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to redefine sex. He says, everything beyond this is the definition of sexual immorality. We'll come back to it, but Paul says one more thing. I want us to cover this. Paul says, <clears throat> I want you to learn how to control your own body. Okay, learn how to control your own body. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So, I'm going to have to make a decision. Will I control or will I be controlled? Because okay? he says, if you don't know God, it's inevitable that you're going to be controlled by your lust. Like, this dominates me. I can't help it. Let's examine something for a moment about human beings and one of our core problems from the very beginning. If we went back to Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible, here's what is very clear. God creates the world, the earth, the plant, the animal life. And the final act of creation is human life form. And he looks at Adam and he looks at Eve and he says to them this. He says, you are going to be different 
than the rest of creation. I am giving you an assignment. He uses the Hebrew word radah, benevolent leadership. He says, I want you to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, all the plants. He says, I want you to be my steward. I want you to care for my garden. I want you to make it more beautiful. I want you to enhance it. Your job is to take authority, not demanding authority, but gentle, loving authority over the planet. You are called to lead the plants. You are called to make better the animal world. What has happened to us? When we do not have control, when we forfeit our place of authority, what happens? We are suddenly controlled by the very things that we were meant to oversee. What is every form of alcohol made out of? Plant life, right? If it's vodka, it's the potato, right? It can be corn, it can be barley, it could be juniper berries. And here's what happens in addiction, is that we, because of our damage, because of our weakness, we have forfeited our authority over the plant life. And if you're not careful, what oversees you? You're controlled by the potato, right? And that is a terrible God. You're controlled by the corn. Same thing with drugs. Think about it for a moment. Drugs, they're synthetics now, but they all came from the plant life, right? So it's marijuana, it's the cocoa plant, whatever it is. If you're not careful and you don't say, no, 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 I am designed to lead and to govern and to oversee this. If you forfeit your authority before you know it, it's the marijuana plant that leads your life. And God is saying this. You do not have to be subject to your lusts, to your controls. And this happens in sexuality. In sex, it's supposed to be a man and a woman in this covenant. This, I don't care what happens. We're walking through this. And if you're not careful, sex begins to control human life. And and we're obsessed with it. And it's all we think about. And we start cutting corners and people get hurt. By the way, Paul says, there's always consequences. People get injured through this. It's from pornography addiction to crimes that happen because of rampant sexuality where people can't control their lust. He says, if you can't control your lust, you're just like a, a, a pagan. There's nothing in you. You're being led by your urges. So what do we do with urges? This is a very, very legitimate question. Okay, I have... I'm looking at you, I have people that I love. I have friends, we have family members who are saying, well, I have urges that are outside of the box. So do I. I also have urges to kill my neighbors, right? (laughs) Anybody who's even been married, you're godly. You have urges to have sex with people you're not married to. Because I have an urge doesn't mean that it's natural. Doesn't mean that it's right. It means that I'm a broken human being and I'm learning how to control and say, no, 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 I'm submitting to God's design and God's purposes for my life. Okay? It's a very sensitive subject. There's so many people struggling in this realm. So... 
Paul says, remember you have the Holy Spirit in you. God just didn't leave you alone in this. You've got a power that is working in you, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. You do not have to be controlled by your urges. Take authority. Figure out how to be human again. Get healing. You guys, we have so many classes at this church. We have so many small groups for people who have experienced betrayal, for people who have betrayed spouses, for people who are addicted to pornography. What do we do? Do we like, mm, no. We say, find healing. Let's go through this process because you don't want to live your life as a slave. You were destined for more. You're dignified. You're, you're sanctified. Figure out how to stand up and go, no, no, no. I am in control of this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll talk about just a couple more things here. This is, this is going to make some of your toes hurt a little bit, okay? My job is not to uh, placate. My job is to speak the truth, but speak with grace. So I, I want to re, 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 reread verse 7. He's writing to the church again. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gave you his Holy Spirit. So I want to address people in the room who you're like, yep, I'm out here. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, okay, Early on, you're trying to figure out what you believe. Guess what? I make absolutely no demands of you. This was not an open book written to the city of Thessalonica. This was a book written to the believers in Thessalonica. And so if you're out here, listen, you are loved. You are welcome here. I don't condemn you. I do think that there's some wisdom in this. Even if you don't believe, I think you should really think through this, but this is where you're at. My job, our job as followers of Jesus is not to demand non-Christians to act like Christians. And that happens far too often in this world. Okay, that is not our job. Paul is writing to a group of believers and this is subversive and this is challenging. Now, if this is you and you know I'm living outside of this and you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're living here, you are not rejecting a human teaching. You're not rejecting Paul. He says, you are rejecting God. You're rejecting God. So what do you do? What do you do? Okay, so some of us are getting a little nervous. Um, what do we do with this? Okay, if you're, if you're a couple, you're living together, you say, yeah, we follow Jesus, but God, oh, it's been too expensive to ever get married. Um, uh, you know, like if we got married, everything would change. Here's what you do. What do you do? Like everything, you repent. And then you either break up or you bring this relationship into the box. Okay? What do you do? Well, figure it out. If you don't love this person, repent. Because you're not rejecting a human teacher. You're rejecting God. Or you say, hey, Let's bring it into the box. And I've heard this a thousand times. Well, pastor, we can't afford to get married. You know what I say? How about 7 a.m. tomorrow on me, on the house? Where do you want to meet? 
Where do you want to meet? Let's do this. Let's do it tomorrow. Oh, can't do it tomorrow. How about the next day? So what we love is we don't love pointing fingers. If you're a believer and you're living out here, bring it in the box. Oh, I'm scared. I know you're scared. We're all chicken. Well, I had a bad marriage in the past. Yeah, we'll get a good one now. Move it in the box. Okay? If you're not a believer, I get it. You're going to have to think through this because this might really mess with things. And I know, this, I don't, I don't want to be light about this. I know all the sensitivities that this brings into our lives and all the pain, all of that. I want to end with just a few statements and a couple of questions. Okay, a few statements and a couple of questions. First, do I know what is best or does the creator know what is best? More and more, I hear people saying, well, you, you don't understand. Things have changed. That's an old archaic book. That's an ancient way of looking at life. I get that. I get that. But eventually, I'm going to have to decide, does the creator of humanity know what the box is? Or am I going to determine my own box? Second question would be this. Am I separating the spiritual from the physical world? Is there dualism happening in me? Is there inconsistency that I think, well, you know, I, I, I so love God and then this happens, but I'll just kind of hide this and I'll try to insulate it and it won't impact my life with God. Here's what Paul says. He says, no, no, you're one human being. Your body matters. Pleasing God has to do with the mind and the body. And if you feel that temptation to have a dualistic life, Get it. Most of us face that at some time. Let God bring it together. If God cares about the whole package, let him begin to heal and restore. I am very passionate about this next statement. Okay, very passionate. Understand that my sexuality is not my identity. My sexuality is not my identity. Now, I am a heterosexual male who has been married to the same woman for a couple months, 29 years, okay? When I meet you, I do not identify myself as a heterosexual because that is not my identity. You know what my identity is? My identity is first and foremost, I am a son of Jesus Christ and a disciple of him. Secondly, I'm a husband to my wife. Thirdly, I'm a father to my children. Fourthly, I am a pastor to this church. And somewhere in all of that is my sexuality, but it is not my identity. It is not my identity. He, two reasons, two reasons behind this. Maybe you're in the room and you have lived life out here, okay? There's been mistakes and you, like you didn't even understand this or you, you faced addiction and, and so... We end up here, I want to tell you something. If you are in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, this is not your identity. Your failure from the past is not your identity. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that makes you whole and your identity is not what you have done. If you are out here and you would say, hey, but I, 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 um, I, I'm not binary, I'm, I'm trans, I'm this, I'm that. I get, this is very real. There are these urges. Human beings are flawed and broken. But let me tell you, that is not who you are. 
If you determine this is who I am, I am homosexual, I'm this, you have created a one-dimensional human being. You are so much more than that. You are a child of God and he loves you desperately. You are meant for something bigger than just to identify your sexuality as your identity. God has created you more than that. I get that. I understand. We love people. We work with people. You're welcome here, whatever you believe. We won't make demands on you. But if you become a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to deal with that. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. Lastly, I just want to say this. There is forgiveness. There is love. We're a church that believes in redemption. We believe in second chances. We believe that this is a process. We believe that we're going to pull people towards healing, and we'll continue to work to do that. And then, know this. This is about me. It's not about them. I personally am really tired of hearing even believers in Jesus discuss other people's sexuality on the internet. I think that's probably the dumbest place to have any discussion on sexuality, by the way, right? I am tired of that. Paul's writing to the church and he tells them, listen, you gotta get this right. You gotta get this right. It's not, this is not for me to make comments on culture and comments for people who haven't surrendered their life to Jesus. This is about me. Here's what I wanna communicate to the world how forgiven I am, how loved I am, how much God has redeemed me, how much God is drawing me to restore what's been broken in my life to help me understand sexuality from his perspective. Let's not push people from God, demanding that they live as if they were believers. But if you're a believer, let's get in alignment. Will you pray with me? Lord, all oh, these words are, they're inspiring, but they're deeply challenging. And Lord, there's so much happening in our world right now, so much hurt and so much pain and so much anger. God, I, I pray this. I pray for anyone in the room who is not a follower of Jesus. I know hearing this is difficult, but I pray this. I pray that you would confirm to them that you love them. I pray that you would help them wrestle through what the Bible says about this. And Lord, not feel condemned, but perhaps challenged and maybe disagree, but that's okay. Lord, for those in the room, those of us who are believers, followers, Lord, our primary question is this. How best can I please God with my body, with my mind, with my sexuality, with everything. How can I please you? Would that be the path that we are on? Lord, we were meant to be sanctified. Would you set us apart? Remind us of our dignity. Lord, for all of us in the room who have forfeited authority, and now rather than ruling and reigning with you, we are overcome. We are influenced. We are led by our urges and our lusts, be it sex or plants, 
They dominate our lives. We pray for freedom. We pray for wholeness. We'll work a program. We'll surrender. We want to take our rightful place of authority and leading rather than being controlled. Thank you for the forgiveness that happens in you. We love you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, thanks for working through a really, really challenging text. Guys, you are loved. Thanks. If you need prayer for anything, there's people up front you can trust. If you need a Bible, head to one of these I Have Decided banners. Otherwise, be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. God bless you.